Fireside Chat series, sponsored by the Spiritual Formation and Practice of Faith Committee. Since we cannot conduct these chats by the actual fireside in the common room this year, we are offering them as podcasts instead. These fireside chats invite faculty and students to share something of their faith stories with the YDS community. This spring, the committee is inviting folks from diverse faith traditions to chat. Listen now to hear Professor Jacqueline Vaintrub and MDiv student Ora Weinbach share their stories about Jewish identity and practice and their experience of being Jewish at a predominantly Christian divinity school. So it's really great to be able to have this conversation with you. Um, I just want to say that I think the fact that you and I are sort of can I say this like uniquely in exile uh, together here? <laughs> I'm feeling that too. You could say it. <laughs> as as Jews in a Christian identified uh, divinity school. Jewesses even. Jewesses. Women, yeah, like Jewish yes. women, which is its own yes. thing. Yes, and I will speak to that as well um, because that plays such a huge role in um, why I'm even in this field in the first place. Um, but um, I will just say, you know, um, this will give us a chance um, sort of in a unique sense to think about what belonging might mean. Um, and um, so, uh, you know, and, and the truth of it is, um, at least for me, and, um, and I wonder what you will have to say as well, um, but I think of myself perpetually in exile, um, not in like a literal sense, but sort of spiritually and communally and perhaps even intellectually in my own chosen field um, that I've always been in search of my home um, and my identity has sort of been um, shaped through that searching. So the first prompt that we were given was for me to tell a little bit about biographical background and like Oh, yeah. So before we just get to the prompt, I think it's so interesting yeah. you're thinking about yourself in terms of exile and having been having this experience of exile. I feel like my right now, the way I think about my place in my community um, is almost like the inverted, like is inverted. Like I've always been on the inside and I want to stay on the inside, but I feel like I'm pushing boundaries towards the outside while trying to at the same time oh. stay in. So I'm excited that we're exploring like liminal space together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I think I've, as you, as you'll learn, um, I, I think I just inhabit so many different identities. My family history just um, inhabits so many different, you know, like actual geographic locations um, and different experiences of Jewishness. Um, I myself made Aliyah. Um, and then made Yerida, so <laughs> as they might say. Um, and there's a lot of sort of like family history that propelled me in like both directions. So um, okay, I'm so excited I, to hear. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's just it's a very it's a very complex story, and, and I'm sorry to burden you with it. Oh, let's get into it. Let's get into it. But that's like that's like part of like Jewishness, right? Like burdening each other with our stories. <laughs> this is my sorrow. This is my woe. <laughs> yes, and let's eat. Um, <laughs> not to stereotype us too. Um, not to put too fine a point on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, okay, so. 
Um, I was born and um, raised in Palo Alto, Northern California, as um, let's say a conservative slash reformed Jew. Um, but already I would say that this description really demands an asterisk um, because my family never considered themselves really part of the American Jewish, either conservative or reform movements. Um, the fact that we even belonged to a conservative synagogue and then a reform synagogue, um, those sort of symbolize a set of compromises between my immigrant parents and their very radically different experiences and commitments as Jews. So I think one of the things that I wanted to um, to know sort of from my perspective that it, it actually doesn't really make a lot of sense to me to frame this conversation in terms of faith, um, but rather in terms of peoplehood, community, and belonging, um, because I've always understood my Jewishness in terms of commitments to community, commitments to family, to traditions, to practices, and to ways of moving through the world, and not in terms of faith or belief. Um, yeah, that strikes me as very Jewish, and I think also <laughs> mirrors what I also have to share. So I'm so happy to have a conversation yeah. commitment and experience and peoplehood. Yes, well, and so like I think one of the 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 important sort of distinctions there is you know the the you know the distinction between sort of like an individual salvation narrative versus a kind of like peoplehood and history narrative, and so when you're talking about you know, Jewishness in terms of belonging and commitments and community and family um, and tradition, um, you, you can reframe the conversation um, in terms of history. So history actually plays this really central role in um, even sort of identity formation and what we might call, what we might sort of translate culturally into like from what, you know, you know, the brief that we've been given to have this conversation of like spiritual formation, I think is more like, um, um, how do you fit, how do you see yourself fitting within, um, you know, Jewish community, you know, globally in time and space in, you know, in the different sort of worlds you inhabit in your family, in traditions in your family. And so that's, that's more of how I see it. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, like, I, I mean, so much your like, story, and then I'm gonna, I'm yeah, gonna build yeah. on that. That's great. Okay, okay, I'll tell, I'll tell my story. Tell my story. So, um, so as I said, I was raised um, in the conservative and reformed Jewish communities in the Bay Area in Palo Alto, um, which is a small but international and um, academically oriented Jewish community. Um, this detail actually really is just like the smallest sliver of the story, um, because the other part of it has to do with that, you know, big asterisk I mentioned. So my mother was brought up in a very traditional, um, very strongly identified, one might sort of say modern Orthodox Jewish community in Costa Rica. Um, my mom's parents had fled pogroms um, uh, in Poland sorry, my mother's mother, my grandmother's parents um, had fled pogroms in Poland in the 1920s um, and moved to Central America. Um, so while my grandmother had grown up in Costa Rica, my grandfather, so my mother's father, um, he was himself an immigrant to Costa Rica. He was born in British Mandatory Palestine. Um, his own parents were among the initial waves of Eastern European immigrants to Palestine at the beginning of the 20th century. So they themselves fleeing pogroms. Um, you know, in the Pale of Settlement in the Russian Empire. 
And my grandfather grew up in Palestine to see the Jewish state born. He fought, he was in the Palmach, he fought in the 48 war, um, and then quickly grew sort of impatient with the limited opportunities, economic opportunities um, of the young Jewish state. Um, so long story short, he uh, joined his Jewish of Polish descent Costa Rican wife <laughs> for an exilic, prosperous life in, you know, the small, traditional, insular Jewish community um, in San Jose, Costa Rica. And my mom herself came to the United States in her 20s as an international college student. So that's my mom. My dad is a completely different story. So he grew up in the Soviet Union um, for most of his life in Tashkent, Uzbekistan. Um, his parents had actually moved to Uzbekistan during the years of um, the state-sponsored forced starvations um, in uh, the Ukraine um, in the 1930s. And then in the 1960s, the family received permission from the Soviet government to return to Odessa, um, which is where my family was from. Um, and my father grew up without any practicing Jewish community to speak of, except for his family. Um, of course, as many know, Judaism was suppressed by the state. Jews who were suspected of practicing Judaism were regularly sent to die in uh, forced labor camps in Siberia. And actually, my father's grandfather was one of those who died in the Gulag. Um, so when my father was about to be drafted to the Soviet military, um, the whole family applied for an exit visa um, from the Soviet Union, um, ostensibly to exit as political refugees um, for the Jewish state. Um, a previous wave of Jews had actually participated in hunger strikes um, in the Soviet Union, had risked labor camps um, themselves to make that opportunity possible for my father and his family. Um, and that is the story actually of how my own husband's father had left the Soviet Union. But anyways, I digress. That's not really part of my own story. Um, so there was a lot of international pressure that made these exit visa applications possible. And it was, um, it was still pretty risky. Um, so when you applied for an exit visa in the Soviet Union, you that meant you would lose your job, your enrollment in college, your ability to receive any benefits from the state. Um, you're losing your citizenship, basically. Um, uh, so that's how my father actually came here, um, seeking asylum uh, in the United States. Um, uh, instead of going to the you know young and warring Jewish state, um, his family, he and his family, he was in his 20s, um, sought the stability that was afforded by, you know, the long-standing perceived safety and tolerance of Jews in the, in the United States. So why am I long in telling this family story? Um, mean, other than the fact that it's such a Jewish story, right? This idea it is, yes. like moving from places and persecution and like, yes. it resonates so deeply with me it, and my, the most Jewish people. Yes, I mean, I think one of the things that's actually fascinating to me and, uh, and um, one of the things that, you know, my husband and I share that, you know, both of us have fathers who um, fled the Soviet Union. Um, his mother's actually um, American. And I always looked at sort of like long generations of American Jews as like kind of like um, fantasy creatures to me almost because um, it's, it's almost like this very strange period almost in, in Jewish history that um, Jews have been able to live um, in a kind of like political um, and economic stability. Um, and and it, it is interesting to me because like, I feel like my experience as, you know, uh, I always wonder if my, my time here in the United States is temporary. Just like, I always think like, I'm not, I hate to say this like publicly, I guess I'm doing it. I'm not really an American Jew, like I'm a Jew. 
And then I have American citizenship, um, but I also have Israeli citizenship, which is another story. But I also have, you know, um, claims perhaps to Costa Rican citizenship. And, um, I, you know, I, I don't feel really tethered to anything. Um, that's sort of like my Jewish experience, like being yeah, untethered. So yeah, it's so interesting to hear you say that because I think, I mean, my grandparents here in kind of like the late 1800s between then and the very beginning of the Second World War. Um, and even I, which I guess I'm maybe a little bit more American, although I mean, only by, you know, an extra hundred years, maybe. <laughs> um, I've started to like have that same feeling in the last few years in a way that I'd never imagined of like beginning to think like, okay, at what point do, do I and my family, like, at what point do we get up and leave and go somewhere else because anti-Semitism is happening again? And it's a really, yeah. it's a really scary thought to begin to see patterns in history that really remind me of Germany in the early 1900s, mid 1900s. And like that feeling of being an American Jew, but like starting to question what that American piece means um, has been a really scary experience for me in the last few years. And it just seems like we're maybe meeting at this, at this point of this insider. Yeah. Outsider yeah. I mean, I, I think it's actually so, this is why I feel like the family history is so central to uh, a feeling of, of Jewishness because it's both about I mean, my search has always been about like the the community. You know, I'm always perpetually in search and not finding a place where I feel like I fit. And there's obviously a lot of really important reasons, right? Like, why did I tell this whole long story, right? Like, you, you couldn't have two more contrasting Jewish experiences in terms of belonging. You know, my mom with her very strong Jewish identity cultivated in you know, her practicing community, which was insular and provincial, but safe, right? Um, uh, um, and then, you know, my, my dad with no formal Jewish education, right, experiencing persistent oppression and suppression of Jewishness his whole life, um, you know, just, just to sort of like illustrate the point, my father's parents, my grandparents illegally and secretly held their Jewish wedding ceremony in their living room with the blinds drawn and only the closest of family members present. So, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's not, that's not a million years ago, you know, that's in recent memory. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I don't feel like I'm being alarmist when I say um, I, I can feel the rise um, of anti-Semitism and anti-Semitism is not, is actually, it's like, it's part of, of what it means to be Jewish. Um, uh, it's that history and that experience. Um, and, um, right, like it's, it's this whole thing about like, if I set aside the idea of like, you know, faith, right? I don't wanna talk about faith, right? Because if I were to say like, my entire experience within the Jewish community, right? In my religious education, at key moments in the life cycle, my bat mitzvah, my first wedding, I was married before, my subsequent divorce, right? I, I was married in the Rabbanut. Get out, in we really are. This <laughs> right? So I was, I was married like Orthodox, Orthodox, right? Um, I had to, you know, I had to get a get, you know, by the, the, the rabbinic court of Los Angeles. Um, 
then my Great. next we'll wedding. Share, we'll share our stories of getting the get is a document of Jewish divorce. We'll we'll share those yes, stories. Yeah. I mean that that that's that I would say like I ha I actually hadn't even planned on bringing it up, but it actually is this kind of weird um, moment in my Jewish identity where um, I just I that along with like a few other moments where I just you know I I cannot I I. I, I cannot throw myself into Jewish practice because I feel persistently like I cannot make enough apologies to to um, accept that I don't belong as much as a man. And and to me that that's just it's the stumbling block always for me. And and I can't get past it. And I know there's other people who can provide a whole set of rationale for for the way they live their life and I would never judge them, but I can't get over it. And um I totally empathize <laughs> I find it so fascinating because I very much feel like I have continued to live within the Orthodox community and try to do that work and like manage and process these exact feelings of being in a religious leadership role in a community, but I'm not a rabbi and I can't be. And that's why I'm at Yale Divinity School, because there are no institutions of higher learning within my community that can train me to do the job that I'm doing. Um, and so, but I still want to do it. And so I'm leaving my community in order to come back and like also constantly feel like for my whole life, I've been navigating this question of what it means to be a Jewish woman and how that impacts my practice and how, and I feel like that is very much something that's on my mind and on my heart all the time. Like when you talk about ancestors, when I think about my ancestors, I frame it in this reality that like I come from a long, long line of rabbis. That like the people in my family for generations and generations and generations, my father, my grandfather, my like the men in my family are rabbis. And that's this amazing glorified position. And like, I know that if I was born a boy, that I would be the next rabbi in the generation, like in the line and trying oh. to come to terms with what it means to see myself as a Jew, as part of my history and connect also as a woman when the things that speak the most to me about my community and my tradition don't jive so smoothly with being a traditional Jewish woman. And that's been kind of where I've navigated. It also was something I thought a lot about when I got divorced. Um, it's something I think a lot about when I teach. Um, when I started learning Talmud, which is um, Jewish law, which is an area of study that I was denied for my whole formal, you know, 13 years of Jewish schooling and trying to feel like I'm always playing catch up so that I could like sit at the same table. Um, but then also like trying to recognize that hopefully if I do a good job and other people follow me and work with me, that we won't have young women who feel the way that we have felt. And maybe that's, I mean, that's my dream, um, but that it's just interesting to like reflect on that in contrast, but also I feel like parallel to what you're sharing. I'm, I'm gonna, I wonder if you and I had the same experience of watching Yentl over and over again. <laughs> I, I wasn't allowed to watch TV and movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I didn't watch 
Yentl, but I know Yentl because Yentl is in my heart. <laughs> For those of us who don't, who are listening, who don't know the story of Yentl, Yentl is a story, it's Barbara Streisand, it's an amazing movie, everyone should watch it. Um, she wants to learn Talmud, she wants to learn Jewish law, and so she dresses up and pretends to be a boy so that she could go to yeshiva. And it's so striking to me because I grew up reading Tamora Pierce, who like wrote these fantasy novels about girls who um, dressed up to go become knights. They pretended to be boys and they went to the castle to become a knight. <laughs> and it's the same story. It's the story mm -hmm. of an amazing woman who can do it and who needs to like lie about who she is in order so that she exactly was born to do. And like, oh, it speaks to my soul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I would say like there was a moment um, I mean, the moment I usually identify is when I, you know, I had to, um, my, my family, we went to Costa Rica fairly often um, to visit family. Um, and we went um, for my cousin's bar mitzvah. Um, and, and I had no context for understanding, you know, what, um, you know, what an Orthodox, you know, that men and women sit apart. You know, I, I just didn't know. Um, and, and in this synagogue, the women sat, sat upstairs. Um, I just didn't know. I was, I think it was like 10. Um, but we walk into the synagogue and the, um, you know, the usher tells me in Spanish, probably, um, that I have to go upstairs to sit with my mom. And, and I'm just running after my dad, my dad, who probably doesn't even want to be there. Right. But I'm running after my dad. And I'm just saying, you know, like, I want to go and sit with you, you know, um, and, you know, he, you know, everyone's just sort of like, okay, Jack, you have to go upstairs. Um, uh, um, I, I think I, at one point, you know, probably had some harsh words for the usher who was totally confused, but I just, you know, I think I said something like, show me the text where it's written, where I have to sit upstairs. Um, but, you know, I sat upstairs with the rest of the service. I was so ma mad. I mean, I was just, I, I think I asked my mom, you know, um, did they deny you from reading from the Torah too when, when you were growing up? Um, and, and, you know, I remember like the moment where we're like throwing candy at my cousin. And I'm just so mad. I'm just like pelting those like <laughs> pieces of candy. Love about that story is that you're already <laughs> asking the usher about the text. You're like, let's talk about the Jewish text here. <laughs> I was so mad. I just, I felt like I wasn't even given a chance, you know, and I think, I think that moment, I think something broke in me in that moment where I was just like, I'm, I'm not, I don't even have access, you know, like even if, even if I could, even if I wanted to. And I, um, and I think that's where I started having these sort of fantasies of studying Jewish texts <laughs> that I thought like, you know, if I just, if I just can, can figure them out, if I can figure them out and, and if I can be smarter than anyone else and can understand the languages that maybe I would find a way to figure out where I fit. You know, if I read the texts hard enough and I make sense of them enough, I'll figure out where I fit. And yeah. I think that that sort of morphed into, um, then it sort of became, well, I don't see myself in these texts. So I'm going to keep digging older and older and older until I get to what is the oldest text. Um, I, I mean, thankfully, I've moved away from that kind of thinking. Um, but I think that that is what sort of brought me to the biblical texts because um, I, I just, I it felt untouched in a way that um, even though it, it's, it kind of struck me that like the Hebrew Bible, in a sense, um, and more so the Ketuvim than any other of the texts, are almost claimed by no one, you know. 
um, they're, they're almost orphaned in a sense um, because they're not a central part um, of, um, you know, Jewish liturgy or practice. I mean, like, of course, yes, they show up in liturgy, but that's not my point, you know? It's not Jewish law, it's not Talmud, it's not, um, it's not the center of, of sort of how Jewish experience is sort of like centers around, Jewish learning centers around. So um, I think that's where I sort of like lost myself in there. And I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be here. <laughs> Funny, I, yeah, I feel like I mentioned like coming to Talmud and studying Jewish law at a I feel like I committed myself for the last 10 years to really study Talmud and learn how to do it. Um, and I wonder if I'll ever be able to get away from this like inferiority complex of like, I'm not pronouncing the words the same way, the guys that grew up in yeshiva since forever, like the same way that they do it. And, and only very recently, um, and I'm so proud and excited about this, this experience, only recently has this like voice awakened in me where it's like, well, maybe this is a right way to do it also. And maybe there can be like, there's, it is now time for there to be women Talmud scholars who can learn this text and dig through it to find themselves um, and to make it their own. And I think it's a different kind of battle than the one, you know, you mentioned, um, but it does, it constantly feels like I'm navigating this internal voice of like, I'm not here. Why am I not here? And then being able to say like, no, I I'm here because I'm here and I can make myself be here and I belong. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the, I think the thing that, um, the thing that's so striking, I feel like when I, when I tell this story is that, um, you, you know, it's almost like I was escaping to biblical studies because I felt like I couldn't belong, um, in, you know, in Jewish text study, um, and I couldn't belong religiously, um, and I couldn't belong in terms of practice and community. I just didn't find myself there. Um, and what is so almost ironic and hilarious about it is that I definitely don't belong in biblical studies. Um, it's like, what was I thinking? You know, um, that that you know, I was leaving sort of, you know, like I was I was leaving, you know you know, one sort of yentl situation for another yentl situation um, where, where I don't know the pathways, uh, the, sort of the social la landscape even more, you know, um, just because biblical studies has been um, dominated for so long um, by, Protestant, um, by Protestant theology. So it's also a foreign land to me. Um, and I might even say, even for, um, you know, I, I do sometimes find refuge um, in uh, the, you know, the various sort of um, philologically inclined Jewish scholars in the field, just because I, I often see, you know, eye to eye on certain approaches. Um, but e even there, I also feel like they all share this experience. These men share this experience of having gone to yeshiva together. And I don't have that. I didn't go to yeshiva. I, I didn't have that opportunity. And, and even if I went to like Beis Yaakov, it would have been different anyways. Um, yeah. So, so. Yeah, it's so funny. I feel similarly. I mean, obviously I'm not, you know, in officially in the field of Bible study, but even my experience taking academic Bible in my years here, um, at YDS, I, I, I like 
no Bible. I went to had like 13 years of actually 16 because I went to a Jewish college that required Bible study. Um, I have years of Bible study, except it's totally not the same thing. Like I can read the text in Hebrew and I know what all the commentaries and the medieval commentaries for years and years and years back say about things. And yet they're like conversations happening that I can't quite understand. And there is almost like a concern of like loss of ownership of a text that like I, that is mine and I own, but then it feels so foreign to me when it's articulated in this very like white male Protestant um, language. And I'm like, are we talking about the same book right now? <laughs> it's like, you're missing a midrash on, you know, <laughs> like I used to this, it doesn't happen so often anymore, but um, you know, early on, I think it was probably in my master's um, when we would read a text, I would have a different memory of the text and, you know, we would be discussing a text um, and I would, I, I would think, wait, I'm remembering this text differently. And then I'd realize that what I was remembering was some midrash that I had learned alongside the text. You're um, like, wait, that's not actually in the Bible? Like that's not in the text? Yeah, I've had the same experience. And then what's the- Moses didn't put the hot coals in his mouth? <laughs> exactly. For me, it was Abraham being thrown into the furnace. I was like, I'm, I'm sure I skipped this part. Like it goes straight from chapter 10 to chapter 11, but I'm pretty sure there's supposed to be a 10.5. Like- uh, <laughs> It's so funny because then I feel like I go through this experience of being like, oh, that's not in the text. That's not really true. And then like to have that be denied as like valid interpretation or study. And then to fight back and say like, no, why isn't like rabbinic interpretation, like early rabbinic interpretation and midrash, like why isn't that also a form of valid interpretation of reading and thinking about the nuance of the text and it is mastery the things the, the textual details and themes that are talked about in the midrash are the same themes that we're picking up on now as if we just discovered them but like <laughs> you know like they got they, they had it back then. <laughs> yeah it is um it does it i think that um for me one of the one of the the things that keeps me feeling like I'm in exile <laughs> perpetually is that um, I can't even sort of claim, um, you know, any sort of specific Jewish community is mine either. Um, and I think a little bit of that comes from um, my dad. Uh, and, you know, his, it's funny, because if you were to ask him, like, you could meet him now and, and hear his Russian accent, and folks will say, are you Russian? Um, and he'll say, no, I'm Jewish, um, because, you know, uh, <laughs> they spent all of their lives in, you know, the Soviet Union, um, fending off accusations that they were Jews and not Russians, um, not Soviet citizens, you know, um, and then to come here and then people say, well, are you Russian? It's just like, wait, what? Um, and, and I think a little bit of that sort of like displacement, um, the way I dealt with you know, not feeling totally comfortable, um, sort of uh, shedding, you know, my sort of my identity in, um, you know, giving up a little bit of, um, of who I am through sort of subordinating myself in a kind of patriarchal system. Um, 
you know, the way I dealt with it was I thought, you know what, I'm going to make Aliyah and I'm going to be Israeli now. Um, and, uh, and therefore I will claim a kind of Jewish nationalism, a secular Jewish nationalism, and I won't be bound to any sort of questions of, you know, should I practice or, or do I need to practice um, to continue to feel like I belong? Um, and even that didn't work, um, just because I think that um, ethical questions about what it means um, for there to be a Jewish nationalism um, started to creep up on me. And, and I really, I just couldn't, I couldn't maintain that um, ethically. And so um, I, I just knew that it wasn't really the right place. I, I didn't fit there either. Um, and then I think the funniest part of all of this is that when I, <laughs> my husband says that when I finally got my first position at Brandeis, he said, here, now you can solve your Jewish identity problem. You can be a professor at Brandeis. He's professor at Brandeis. <laughs> right? I was like, here, here, Jackie, you've solved your Jewish identity problem. And then, I mean, which betrays a complete lack of knowledge of the kind of, you know, conflicting sort of overlapping identities that are experienced by, by faculty at Brandeis. I mean, what does it mean to be a faculty member at Brandeis is like to really struggle with the question of Jewish identity in like the most acute way possible. So <laughs> I think it was a little naive when I was meant to say here, this is going to solve your problem. Um, if we do think, know anything, it, there's never going to be someone no, solve this no, problem. <laughs> no, but but it was. I did find it a little bit hilarious. Um, uh, to me, one of the most um, interesting experiences so far, I guess, as you know, living my life Jewishly, has been to be this kind of like, you know, to take a kind of leadership role, like an intellectual leadership role, in a Christian identified divinity school. Um, and and I've I've worked really hard not to be like, you know, I'm not a token Jew. I'm just I'm I'm me. You know, this is I am who I am. Um, not not to not to quote the Bible here, but um, <laughs> I I am me, um, and um, I I am Jewish. But it is you know being Jewish is not one thing, um, and it you know it's a complex sort of set of overlapping identities. Um, but I also appreciate that it's an opportunity to be able to um, show people who might not understand, um, you know, what it means to um, interface the Bible, not, not as a Christian. Um, and that's been an important experience for me. That's awesome. Um, should I... Go back to my, I'll, I'll rewind yeah, yeah. All bits and pieces already through yeah, yeah. our conversation. But um, so I mentioned my ancestors, my rabbinic line um, that I grew up, uh, I was born into and was raised and I'm still a part of the, um, of Orthodox, the Orthodox Jewish community. Um, I went to um, a Jewish day camp, a Jewish elementary school, middle school, all girls, high, Jewish high school. Um, I took a gap year studying in seminary in Israel um, at an Orthodox all girls um, seminary. I went to Stern College, Yeshiva University, which is an all girls Jewish um, college. 
And I was like, I mean, I still am, but like just such a goody two shoes. Like I loved my community. I followed all the rules. It was knee socks, shirts to my elbows, skirts to my knees, collarbone covered. Like, um, and I just loved my Judaism. I loved Jewish texts. I loved, um, I always loved studying Judaics. Um, and I loved Jewish practice. Like it was just such a big part of who I was. And I think the fact that I was in all girls spaces, um, basically my whole life until after college, um, it never, it just never, the gender thing, like it came up, but it just never really occurred to me because I wasn't around men very frequently. Um, and so I was just like doing my thing in my own happy little universe. Um, and I knew that I wanted to teach, um, Bible and Jewish practice and Jewish philosophy. Um, I was like totally a teacher. And this is the way that women go. Like when women have the qualities to become rabbis, they become high school teachers. That's like what we did. So I started training to, um, in college, I did my degree in Jewish education. And part of that, um, that program was field work and internship experience. And I was placed, my first field work placement was at the, um, the Abraham Joshua Heschel High School. Um, which is a pluralistic Jewish day school on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And it was my first time ever meeting, spending serious time, I think like really ever meeting Jews, anyone who wasn't Orthodox. Like I had grown up so sheltered um, and it blew my mind. I remember after my first day of observation, I had seen like a Bible class and I walked to the subway crying my eyes out because I was so confused. Like. I was taught, not that anyone necessarily explicitly said this, but I was kind of like led to believe that Orthodox Jews are doing this right. And people who are not Orthodox Jews are just either not trying hard enough and like don't care enough or are just like radically misinformed. And like that just <laughs> didn't jive with what I was seeing. And I, it blew my mind and I ended up falling in love with the school I never left even after my fieldwork hours were done and they ended up hiring me and I taught there for seven years and that was a really transformative experience um before I started I would I would I would not call myself a feminist I was asked to facilitate a prayer group like the women's prayer group and I was like okay but like I'm not a feminist like I don't feminist is a feminist <laughs> word and then after my first year of being in these women's spaces and like thinking about myself differently I'm like of course I'm a feminist. What's wrong with this? And like, it totally broke me out of, even though I stayed, I lived in the Orthodox community. I continue to affiliate Orthodox and my practice is an Orthodox practice. I, my, I just was like, there's something not right here. And um, I started teaching in congregational settings. Um, just teaching adult education classes. And then I started, they invited me back and I would go for, you know, for the weekend for Shabbat and I would give a speech. And then I started going every weekend. And so then I was there and I was their community educator and I was going every weekend and I was giving a sermon and I was teaching a class and I was like leading, a, like facilitating a prayer service. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I just gave the job description of a, of rabbi. a rabbi. Like, yeah. why am I not a rabbi? And the answer was, is because I didn't go to rabbinical school, but there was no rabbinical school for me to go to. And so I found my in this, like feminine space that is brand, brand new in my community that really has come about in the last few years. Are you talking about Mahar 
Is this yeah. Maharat? Well, so in the last few years, like literally when I was in college, the first Maharat was ordained. A Maharat is from a school who, who ordained women as Orthodox communal leaders, some of whom take the title rabbi. And this created a huge split in, in my community, in the modern Orthodox community, of people who were accepting of this kind of title giving and people who weren't. And I had grown up on the side of the tracks, I guess you could say, that was firmly opposed. Um, <laughs> and yet, because these women had taken this step, more mainstream, more traditional Orthodox synagogues were like, okay, well, we could have women teach some kinds of classes. And that's where I am now. I'm in these positions that have been created out of a genuine recognized need in the Orthodox community for not, not just need for women leaders, but just a recognition of the capacity that like there are brilliant, smart, passionate, capable women who have what to say and to teach. And um, we want to have them here. And um, so I'm like in this space that there isn't really prop like education for that for me within my community. Um, it's this liminal space. I'm not even always sure exactly what my job description is. And yet I'm committed to doing it because I know that you can't become the things that you can't see. And like I, when I was growing up, when I had my bat mitzvah, I could never have imagined a woman speaking from the pulpit and giving a sermon. Like it, it literally was just something I couldn't imagine. And now like the little kids who are growing up in this Orthodox congregation, like are gonna think it's totally normal. And like, it's slow change and it's painful for some people. And I recognize that. And it's also sometimes painful for me. I wonder if I'm just kind of like supporting and uh, enabling a system to exist that like, is hurtful to a lot of women. Um, and yet I'm trying to like stay within and give back to the community that I love, that I grew up in, that I care so much about, genuinely love um, and help it be the best possible version of itself. And it's sometimes a messy process and sometimes leads me to like end up at a Christian divinity school. Um, <laughs> but it's been, it's been a real adventure. And when I think about like what role this me being here has in my journey and my, I guess, like faith experience, but also like a sense of responsibility to my community is I feel like I'm coming to get the wisdom that I can, where I can get it of like the um, pastoral training of preaching of um, like academic study and knowledge and bring that back to my community so that the girls who now grow up and the boys um, who now grow up and the everyone who now grow up as Orthodox Jews can see that um, things don't have to just look like one thing. That's the hope. We'll see. We'll see if that happens. It's, it's interesting. Like I, I think, um, you know, um, many times when I've taught um, undergrads at various institutions, um, uh, you know, public universities, private universities, um, you know, intro to Hebrew Bible courses, um, there's always a kind of, you know, uh, faith challenge moment um, where people have to reckon with um, a way of reading a text um, through a sort of historical critical lens um, that forces you to read it um, 
outside of a certain set of assumptions about that text. Um, and it can bring about real crises of faith. Um, and I wouldn't say that, you know, it brought me to a crisis. Again, it's it's because what what we might think so how we might translate sort of like a maybe a Christian notion of faith for us is history, right? Or sort of like the history of the Jewish people is like part of how we might, you know, construe ourselves as a community today and in the past and all sort of linked together in a chain. Um, and so when you um, when you start asking those kinds of questions about Sinai and you ask questions about, you know, the historicity of, of you know, the texts, um, it can bring you to a place um, that uh, leads you to think, you know, um, I can't keep practicing. And I think that one of the things that uh, um, I've always thought is um, how you how you practice as a Jew for me um, has very little to do with what I understand about the texts. Um, and uh, was it? I actually once played this this video of um, uh, James Kugel um, for an intro course where, uh, what does he say? Um, uh, I don't believe in the Torah, I believe in God. Um, which to me is still, that, that's, you know, I, I think that's a very helpful way of thinking about these things. But I think that, again, the reason I'm not practicing, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not doing all these practices, um, I think because I don't feel like I belong in a community. I think that practice is actually very much tied to how you feel um, connected with others, um, at least Jewishly, um, because all of these things are done together. You cannot have Shabbat alone. You cannot have a Seder alone. You cannot um, have a minion alone. You know, you cannot do these things alone. Um, and, um, you know, I'm okay where I am right now. You know, I'm okay with it. Um, but I do know, and I've, I've, I've recognized since having a son um, that um, I'm pressed more and more back into the community. So my sort of exile from the, from the Jewish community um, may be coming to an end um, because I because I feel an obligation to bring him back in, you know, to bring him into it. Um, you know, I, we had a bris, um, for me, it's really funny because my, my husband probably thinks that, um, I'm nuts about these things, but, um, when it comes to, uh, major life cycle moments or major moments that I sort of, um, situate as very sort of central to my identity as a Jew, I always lean towards more orthodox practices, uh, even though I was like, I'm not, I'm not keeping kosher. I'm not keeping Shabbat because, those things I think are not part of the practices I've outlined for myself. So I'm definitely one of those like buffet style <laughs> Jews. So I'm so intrigued by this framing. And I think it's, it's so helpful of thinking about the role of community um, in keeping Jewish practice. And I think this is something that like the rabbis totally understood. And when they crafted rabbinic Judaism, I think they emphasized, they made laws and regulated things in such a way that, yeah, Judaism has to take place within a community. And then to hear you also mention family. And I think that's a very lived experience yeah. of people um, that when they have children, that brings them kind of like more, makes them more traditional or do more kinds of practices. 
And it's just so interesting because I feel like I've been on both sides of that coin of like recognizing that in kind of like an observant Jewish setting, the emphasis is on community and on family. It idealizes a certain kind of um, family, which is like being married and having kids. And then for me, the experience of feeling so connected to the Orthodox community in my case, but then having a family life that doesn't fit in kind of like this picture of what it means to be Jewish, right? Like divorce is not something, I mean, not, it's not really like chill anywhere, um, but it's definitely not, you know, super chill in the community that I came from. And then having that experience of loneliness and people who aren't in families feel very disconnected often from their Judaism and like Jewish experience and Jewish practice. And I just, I just find that like a very, maybe, I don't know, I can't speak to like other religions so well, but like a very uniquely Jewish thing because it really pulls to kind of not, it's, it's, it's not about my personal faith experience. That's not the way most Jews I know talk about their Jewishness. It is about this history, family, community um, element. Yeah. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, it's interesting that you've also had a, an Orthodox divorce. Um, so um, that uh, um, one of the things that um, will always stick with me, um, well, I also found sort of, I, I remember it was, it was not a pleasant experience um, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's almost like, it's almost like a wedding in reverse, right? Where it's like, you know you're like you're like <laughs> you're times that you are a divorced woman yeah yeah but it's also like um uh you know like you are banished you are banished you are banished um and um you know um after the whole thing was over um when you know the rabbi was saying goodbye to me um he said um i hope you find your people and I, I, I think I could have taken that like in a bad way, but I think he meant it genuinely as in, um, I, I hope you, I hope you find a family. Um, I hope, I hope you find a family for yourself and I can, you know, I can take that not charitably and think, you know, you know, as a woman, I can exist without a husband. Like, I'll just put that out there. I don't need this. Um, but, um, but again, it's just sort of so sort of hardwired that um, what it means to exist Jewishly is to exist within a family. Um, and I hope you find your people. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, I did find my people, so <laughs> I'm happy now. <laughs> For all of y'all who are listening and are like worried about me, I'm good, I'm getting married in May. Yes. Like, <laughs> I'd be good, okay, and I'd be okay anyway, right? It's so interesting, right? Like you said, yeah. why yeah. is it that I need to be married to be okay and coming to like terms yeah. with the fact that like as a single woman, like there is a wholeness there that I can come to and find. And at the same time, being a wife and then hopefully future a mother and being part of a family has religious resonance um, in, in a really, in a really it's, deep. It's like interesting because I reject, there's so many times in which I reject, you know, the, the ways in which those roles are construed and I, um, you know, uh, I think a family is what you make, you know, you make your own family. Um, and however you make that, um, I think it's wonderful. And, um, you know, 
everyone should do what is most meaningful for them um, and gives them the most, you know, joy and, um, you know, sense of um, wholeness. Um, so I have no sort of, you know, uh, I have no sort of ideas of like, what is the correct way to have a family? Like, absolutely not. Um, uh, and I, and in fact, I think, I think that you can read the texts and see that too, um, that you can read the biblical texts. I, I love these sort of counter, this is another reason why I love doing this because there are so many counter readings that you can do because you know, the ancient world was just as, you know, ancient world was just as complex as our world was, it, it, perhaps in different ways, but the variety of human experiences there too. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just not, yeah, in any case. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Um, it's funny because uh, we did not speak about faith at all, really, but I think only, that um, it's only to counter what our experiences were to like, say, but yeah. Or it's like, I think that one of the things that I had put a sort of bookmark to, to make sure that I say is that, you know, every single moment in the life cycle um, within the Jewish community for me, right? My bat mitzvah, my first wedding, my divorce, my next wedding, my son's bris, um, you know, uh, I never had occasion um, to profess or examine my faith, right? I always felt like faith was really treated as ancillary to specific practices and to performances of community inclusion, right? Um, that uh, I don't know if this is the case for you. Like, it would be interesting for me to hear if, you know, within, you know, um, you know, more observant um, world, if faith is treated as central, but my, my sense is no. Um, no. It's not, it's fascinating. I think it was like, it was often used as like a throwaway example, like that you should have a Muna, right? Faith, that's like the Hebrew word for faith, like you should have faith. But like, I didn't, I guess I didn't quite understand really what that meant. And I, it just struck me once I started teaching at a pluralistic school that was named after one of the greatest Jewish theologians of the last kind of like century, um, that like, I never talked about God. like ever like nobody in my community really like talked about god and like what is god and what does it mean to have a relationship with god and what is like never people talk all the time you'd say like oh how are you you'd say like oh baruch hashem right like praise god like i'm good like it was it was a throwaway and it was assumed it was never talked about and um for me it was I mean, I think some people just have the God gene and some people just don't like they like, I just like, I've always had, it's not even something I consciously engage with regularly because it's not really actively a part of the way most Orthodox Jews live their life. But like, I believe in God and I know that God, I feel and know that God has been with me and have as of late started thinking about like theology and Jewish theology and what are those implications? Um, but lots of people don't, they really, it's don't. also, it's just, I feel like it's not socialized. It's just not part of, and, and I think one of the points that I would like to make is that, you know, as a scholar, right, of, of the Hebrew Bible and of, you know, biblical literature, um, the fact that it's not been central and it's not something that I think about, it also is you know, differently structuring the kinds of questions I ask, because I'm not going to ask those kinds of questions because I, I'm, I'm less hung up or I'm less interested or, you know, it, 
I'm always interested in people. How are people living their life? And um, it's so fascinating to hear you say that. Cause I guess, I mean, we did talk about, I mean, how, how did we not talk about God? We learned the Bible, God's in the Bible everywhere. But it, I think it was a pretty unidimensional, very Maimonidean um, picture of God. So like very transcendent, very non-physical and it was very vague. And then like, I remember when that changed for me because I was on some panel at some point after I had already started teaching at Heschel and my thought about these things got a little bit more nuanced. Um, I was at a, a panel and somebody asked like, if you could speak to any character from the Torah, like who would you wanna talk to? And all the people on the panel before me said, you know, like Moses or like, oh, I wanna talk to like, you know, Rebecca. And I'm like, I wanna talk to God. And I literally <laughs> asked. Because the question is, who in the Bible would you want to talk to? And God's not a character in the Bible. Like, <laughs> that, like that, I would have never thought to, think, like, to say that. And yet, when I relook at the Bible from like a different, maybe more theologically minded, like more God aware perspective, like God is absolutely an active actor like character participant in the stories and doesn't always act the same and doesn't always act at all and there's so much richness there that's been uncovered for me by actually thinking about God in a serious way um that just was not present in my education or upbringing um and I understand why I totally understand why right like you mentioned how like the experience of students learning Bible from these other kinds of perspectives, particularly source critical has been, has led to real crises of faith. Like when you're raised to believe in a very particular thing and your whole religious experience and practice is founded on assumptions like God and, you know, authorship of the Torah and authority of text. Like, and once you start questioning that, like things can really, really risk falling apart. Um, and yeah, you have a real Spinoza moment, you know? <laughs> Spinoza was, oh my God, I remember the first time I learned about who Spinoza was. I remember exactly where I was. And I was like, what is this? Um, <laughs> and it's been, it's been really interesting to go on these intellectual journeys um, and always want to come home, right? Like I always want to come home to my Orthodox community and family and feel part of it. And I do, I really, really do. And also once you learn these things, I mean, that's literally the definition of woke, right? You've woken up. You can't like close your eyes to the <laughs> And it applies to like so many areas. It applies to the way that I experience my Jewish identity. You mentioned like the very, very beginning, like identity and like, race and what it means to be American. Like these things have, and God and theology, like these things have become so much more nuanced for me. And it does sometimes feel like I'm not an exile, but my body's in the right place and my heart's in the right place. But sometimes my mind is thinking <laughs> that, that don't really fit whatever else is happening around me. Um, which is, I, I have to, things interesting. <laughs> I'm just so curious. What is the response of your community to the fact that you are um, studying at a Christian divinity school? Um, so it's been overwhelmingly positive, mostly because I, I don't know, I don't think, I didn't know what a divinity school was until I applied to come to one. I don't think most people in my community 
um, necessarily know exactly what like what it really means to be what I in divinity school what the way I explain it is like it's it's smicha for Christians right it's like rabbinic order <laughs> and they're like what does that mean <laughs> I'm like don't worry about it um <laughs> it's like it's not you know but okay <laughs> super positive um and then the people who it's interesting because I've actually found like the people who understand what it means and who know that it means I'm like studying Bible outside of like a traditional context or who know that I'm studying Christian theology, um, the people who know what that means, who are attuned and who are looking for someone to talk to whose mind is in the same place mine is, even though their body and their heart is in the same place mine is. Um, it's almost like a code word. Like people come out of the woodwork and they're like, can we talk? And I'm like, I know what you want to talk about. <laughs> interesting to like find people in my community who want to be orthodox and are and are there and are fully part of it and also are troubled and question the same things that I am questioning and thinking about and it's actually been so validating for me and I think also for them like as a religious leader if I'm here and I'm studying these things like it can be done um and I just I I hope that that's like hopeful for people but um I also think the fact that it's Yale like makes everybody not care about whatever school comes out <laughs> you're at Yale like oh that's fine great <laughs> you're you're at Yale rabbinical school <laughs> we've just renamed YDS I don't know how comfortable everyone would be with that. <laughs> this has been a fireside chat featuring professor Jackie Vaintrub and student Ora Weinbach sponsored by the spiritual formation and practice of faith committee Thank you for listening. Hello, my name is Christy Stang, and I want to welcome you to the YDS Fireside Chat series, sponsored by the Spiritual Formation and Practice of Faith Committee. Since we cannot conduct these chats by the actual fireside in the common room this year, we are offering them as podcasts instead. These fireside chats invite faculty and students to share something of their faith stories with the YDS community. This spring, the committee is inviting folks from diverse faith traditions to chat. Listen now to hear Professor Jacqueline Vaintrub and MDiv student Ora Weinbach share their stories about Jewish identity and practice and their experience of being Jewish at a predominantly Christian divinity school. So it's really great to be able to have this conversation with you. Um, I just want to say that I think the fact that you and I are sort of, can I say this, like uniquely in exile uh, together <laughs> here. <laughs> I'm feeling that too. You could say it. <laughs> as, as Jews in a Christian identified uh, divinity school. Jewesses even. Jewesses. Women, yeah, like Jewish yes. women, which is its own yes. thing. Yes, and I will speak to that as well, um, because that plays such a huge role in um, why I'm even in this field in the first place. Um, but um, I will just say, you know, um, this will give us a chance, um, sort of in a unique sense, to think about what belonging might mean. Um, and um, so, uh, you know, and, and the truth of it is, um, at least for me, and, um, and I wonder what you will have to say as well, um, but I think of myself perpetually in exile, um, not in 
like a literal sense, but sort of spiritually and communally and perhaps even intellectually in my own chosen field, um, that I've always been in search of my home um, and my identity has sort of been um, shaped through that searching. So the first prompt that we were given was for me to tell a little bit about biographical background and like Oh, yeah. So before we just get to the prompt, I think it's so interesting you're thinking about yourself in terms of exile and having been having this experience of exile. I feel like my right now, the way I think about my place in my community um, is almost like the inverted, like is inverted. Like I've always been on the inside and I want to stay on the inside, but I feel like I'm pushing boundaries towards the outside while trying to at the same time stay in. So I'm excited that we're exploring like liminal space together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I think I've, as, you, as you'll learn, um, I, I think I just inhabit so many different identities. My family history just um, inhabits so many different, you know, like actual geographic locations um, and different experiences of Jewishness. Um, I myself made Aliyah. Um, and then made Yerida, so <laughs> as they might say. Um, and there's a lot of sort of like family history that propelled me in like both directions. So um, okay, I'm so excited I, to hear. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's just it's a very it's a very complex story, and, and I'm sorry to burden you with it. Oh, let's get into it. Let's get into it. But that's like that's like part of like Jewishness, right? Like burdening each other with our stories. <laughs> this is my sorrow. This is my woe. <laughs> yes, and let's eat. Um, <laughs> not to stereotype us too. Um, not to put too fine a point on it. Um, <laughs> but um, okay, so. Um, I was born and um, raised in Palo Alto, Northern California, as, um, let's say, a conservative slash reformed Jew. Um, but already, I would say that this description really demands an asterisk, um, because my family never considered themselves really part of the American Jewish, either conservative or reform movements. Um, the fact that we even belonged to a conservative synagogue and then a reform synagogue, um, those sort of symbolize a set of compromises between my immigrant parents and their very radically different experiences and commitments as Jews. So I think one of the things that I wanted to um, to know sort of from my perspective that it, it actually doesn't really make a lot of sense to me to frame this conversation in terms of faith, um, but rather in terms of peoplehood, community, and belonging, um, because I've always understood my Jewishness in terms of commitments to community, commitments to family, to traditions, to practices, and to ways of moving through the world, and not in terms of faith or belief. Um, yeah, that strikes me as very Jewish, and I think also <laughs> mirrors what I also have to share. So I'm so happy to have the conversation for yeah. commitment and experience and peoplehood. Yes, well, and so like I think one of the 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 important sort of distinctions there is you know the the you know the distinction between sort of like an individual salvation narrative versus a kind of like peoplehood and history narrative. And so when you're talking about you know, Jewishness in terms of belonging and commitments and community and family um, and tradition, um, 
you you can reframe the conversation um, in terms of history. So history actually plays this really central role in um, even sort of identity formation and what we might call, what we might sort of translate culturally into like from what, you know, you know, the brief that we've been given to have this conversation of like spiritual formation, I think is more like, um, um, how do you fit, how do you see yourself fitting within, um, you know, a Jewish community, you know, globally in time and space, in, you know, in the different sort of worlds you inhabit, in your family, in traditions, in your family. And so that, that's, that's more of how I see it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, like, I, I mean, someone told me like, story and then I'm going to tell about that. That's great. Okay. Okay. I'll tell, I'll tell my story. Tell my story. So, um, so as I said, I was raised um, in the conservative and reformed Jewish communities in the Bay Area, in Palo Alto, um, which is a small but international and um, academically oriented Jewish community. Um, this detail actually really is just like the smallest sliver of the story, um, because the other part of it has to do with that, you know, big asterisk I mentioned. So my mother was brought up in a very traditional, um, very strongly identified, one might sort of say, modern Orthodox Jewish community in Costa Rica. Um, my mom's parents had fled pogroms um, uh, in Poland. Sorry, my mother's mother, my grandmother's parents um, had fled pogroms in Poland in the 1920s um, and moved to Central America. Um, so while my grandmother had grown up in Costa Rica, my grandfather, so my mother's father, um, he was himself an immigrant to Costa Rica. He was born in British Mandatory Palestine. Um, his own parents were among the initial waves of Eastern European immigrants to Palestine at the beginning of the 20th century. So they themselves fleeing pogroms, um, you know, in the Pale of Settlement in the Russian Empire. And my grandfather grew up in Palestine to see the Jewish state born. He fought, he was in the Palmach, he fought in the 48 war, um, and then quickly grew sort of impatient with the limited opportunities, economic opportunities um, of the young Jewish state. Um, so long story short, he uh, joined his Jewish of Polish descent, Costa Rican wife <laughs> for an exilic prosperous life in you know, the small traditional insular Jewish community um, in San Jose, Costa Rica. And my mom herself came to the United States in her 20s as an international college student. So that's my mom. My dad is a completely different story. So he grew up in the Soviet Union um, for most of his life in Tashkent, Uzbekistan. Um, his parents had actually moved to Uzbekistan during the years of um, the state-sponsored forced starvations um, in uh, the Ukraine um, in the 1930s. And then in the 1960s, the family received permission from the Soviet government to return to Odessa, um, which is where my family was from. Um, and my father grew up without any practicing Jewish community to speak of, except for his family. Um, of course, as many know, Judaism was suppressed by the state. Jews who were suspected of practicing Judaism were regularly sent to die in uh, forced labor camps in Siberia. And actually my father's grandfather was one of those who died in the Gulag. Um, so when my father was about to be drafted to the Soviet military, um, the whole family applied for an exit visa um, from the Soviet Union, um, ostensibly to exit as political refugees um, for the Jewish state. 
Um, a previous wave of Jews had actually participated in hunger strikes um, in the Soviet Union, had risked labor camps um, themselves to make that opportunity possible for my father and his family. Um, and that is the story actually of how my own husband's father had left the Soviet Union. But anyways, I digress. That's not really part of my own story. Um, so there was a lot of international pressure that made these exit visa applications possible. And it was, um, it was still pretty risky. Um, so when you applied for an exit visa in the Soviet Union, you that meant you would lose your job, your enrollment in college, your ability to receive any benefits from the state. Um, you're losing your citizenship, basically. Um, uh, so that's how my father actually came here, um, seeking asylum uh, in the United States. Um, uh, instead of going to the you know young and warring Jewish state, um, his family, he and his family, he was in his 20s, um, sought the stability that was afforded by you know the long-standing perceived safety and tolerance of Jews in the, in the United States. So why am I long in telling this family story? Well, I mean, um, other than the fact that it's such a Jewish story, right? This idea it is, yes. like moving from places and persecution and like, yes. it resonates so deeply with me it, and like the most Jewish people. Yes. I mean, I think one of the things that's actually fascinating to me and, uh, and um, one of the things that, you know, my husband and I share that, you know, he, both of us have fathers who um, fled the Soviet Union. Um, his mother's actually um, American. And I always looked at sort of like long generations of American Jews as like kind of like um, fantasy creatures to me almost because um, it's, it's almost like this very strange period almost in, in Jewish history that um, Jews have been able to live um, in a kind of like political um, and economic stability. Um, and and it, it is interesting to me because like I feel like my experience as, you know, uh, I always wonder if my, my time here in the United States is temporary. Just like I always think like I'm not I hate to say this like publicly, I guess I'm doing it. I'm not really an American Jew, like I'm a Jew. And then I, I have American citizenship, um, but I also have Israeli citizenship, which is another story. But I also have, you know, um, claims perhaps to Costa Rican citizenship. And, um, I, you know, I, I don't feel really tethered to anything. Um, that's sort of like my Jewish experience, like being yeah, untethered. It's so yeah, it's so interesting to hear you say that because I think, I mean, my grandparents here in kind of like the late 1800s between then and the very beginning of the Second World War. Um, and even I, which I guess I'm maybe a little bit more American, although I mean, only by, you know, an extra hundred years, maybe. <laughs> um, I've started to like have that same feeling in the last few years in a way that I'd never imagined of like beginning to think like, okay, at what point do, do I and my family, like, at what point do we get up and leave and go somewhere else because anti-Semitism is happening again? And it's a really, yeah. it's a really scary thought to begin to see patterns in history that really remind me of Germany in the early 1900s, mid 1900s. And like that feeling of being an American Jew, but like starting to question what that American piece means um, has been a really scary experience for me in the last few years. And it just seems like we're maybe meeting at this, at this point of this insider yeah. out there 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's actually so, this is why I say like the family history is so central to uh, a feeling of, of Jewishness because it's both about, I mean, my search has always been about like the, the community, you know, I'm always perpetually in search and not finding a place where I feel like I fit. And there's obviously a lot of really important reasons, right? Like, why did I tell this whole long story, right? Like you, you couldn't have two more contrasting Jewish experiences in terms of belonging. You know, my mom with her very strong Jewish identity cultivated in, you know, her practicing community, which was insular and provincial, but safe, right? Um, uh, um, and then, you know, my my dad with no formal Jewish education, right, experiencing persistent oppression and suppression of Jewishness his whole life, um, you know, just, just to sort of like illustrate the point, my father's parents, my grandparents illegally and secretly held their Jewish wedding ceremony in their living room with the blinds drawn and only the closest of family members present. So, I mean, that's, that's you know, that's not, that's not a million years ago, you know, that's in recent memory. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I don't feel like I'm being alarmist when I say um, I, I can feel the rise um, of anti-Semitism and anti-Semitism is not, is actually, it's like, it's part of, of what it means to be Jewish. Um, uh, it's that history and that experience. Um, and, um, right, like it's, it's this whole thing about like, if I set aside the idea of like, you know, faith, right? I don't want to talk about faith, right? Because if I were to say like my entire experience within the Jewish community, right? In my religious education, at key moments in the life cycle, my bat mitzvah, my first wedding, I was married before, my subsequent divorce, right? I, I was married in the Rabbanut. Get out, in we really are. This <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right. So I was, I was married like Orthodox, Orthodox. Right. Um, I had to, you know, I had to get a get, you know, by the, the, the rabbinic court of Los Angeles. Um, then my right. next wedding. We'll share, we'll share our stories of getting the, a get is a document of Jewish divorce. We'll, we'll share those yes, stories. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that I would say like, I ha I actually hadn't even planned on bringing it up, but it actually is this kind of weird, um, a moment in my Jewish identity where um, I just, I, that along with like a few other moments where I just, you know, I, I cannot, I, I, I cannot throw myself into Jewish practice because I feel persistently like I cannot make enough apologies to, to um, accept that I don't belong as much as a man. And, and to me that that's just, it's the stumbling block always for me and, and I can't get past it. And I know there's other people who can provide a whole set of rationale for, for the way they live their life and I would never judge them, but I can't get over it. And um, I totally empathize. <laughs> I find it so fascinating because I very much feel like I have continued to live within the Orthodox community and try to do that work and like manage and process these exact feelings of being in a religious leadership role in a community, but I'm not a rabbi and I can't be. And that's why I'm at Yale Divinity School because there are no institutions of higher learning within my community that can train me to do the job that I'm doing. Um, and so, but I still wanna do it. And so I'm leaving my community in order to come back. 
and like also constantly feel like for my whole life I've been navigating this question of what it means to be a Jewish woman and how that impacts my practice and how and I feel like that is very much something that's on my mind and on my heart all the time like when you talk about ancestors when I think about my ancestors I frame it in this reality that like I come from a long long line of rabbis that like the people in my family for generations and generations and generations my father my grandfather my like the men in my family are rabbis and that's this amazing glorified position and like I know that if I was born a boy that I would be the next rabbi in the generation like in the line and trying to come to terms with what it means to see myself as a Jew, as part of my history and connect also as a woman when the things that speak the most to me about my community and my tradition don't jive so smoothly with being a traditional Jewish woman. And that's been kind of where I've navigated. It also was something I thought a lot about when I got divorced. Um, it's something I think a lot about when I teach um, and when I started learning Talmud, which is um, Jewish law, which is an area of study that I was denied for my whole formal, you know, 13 years of Jewish schooling and trying to feel like I'm always playing catch up so that I could like sit at the same table. Um, but then also like trying to recognize that hopefully if I do a good job and other people follow me and work with me, that we won't have young women who feel the way that we have felt and maybe that's I mean that's my dream um but that it's just interesting to like reflect on that in contrast but also I feel like parallel to what you're sharing I'm I'm gonna I wonder if you and I had the same experience of watching Yentl over and over again <laughs> I, I wasn't allowed to watch tv and movies oh, okay <laughs> so I didn't watch Yentl, but I know Yentl because Yentl is in my heart. <laughs> For those of us who don't, who are listening, who don't know the story of Yentl, Yentl is a story, it's Barbara Streisand, it's an amazing movie, everyone should watch it. Um, she wants to learn Talmud, she wants to learn Jewish law, and so she dresses up and pretends to be a boy so that she could go to yeshiva. And it's so striking to me because I grew up reading Tamora Pierce, who like wrote these fantasy novels about girls who, um, dressed up to go become knights they pretended to be boys and they went to the castle to become a knight <laughs> and it's the same story it's the story yeah. of an amazing woman who can do it and who needs to like lie about who she is in order so that she exactly was born to do and like oh it speaks to my soul <laughs> yeah yeah so I mean I, I I would say like there was a moment um I mean the moment I usually identify as when I, you know, I had to, um, my, my family, we went to Costa Rica fairly often um, to visit family. Um, and we went um, for my cousin's bar mitzvah. Um, and, and I had no context for understanding, you know, what, um, you know, what an Orthodox, you know, that men and women sit apart. You know, I, I just didn't know. Um, and, and in this synagogue, the women sat, sat upstairs. Um, I just didn't know. I was, I think it was like 10. Um, but we walk into the synagogue and the, um, you know, the usher tells me in Spanish probably um, that I have to go upstairs to sit with my mom. And, and I'm just running after my dad, my dad who probably doesn't even want to be there, right? But I'm running after my dad and I'm just saying, you know, like, I want to go and sit with you, you know? Um, and, you know, he, 
you know, everyone's just sort of like, okay, Jack, you have to go upstairs. Um, uh, um, I, th I think I, at one point, you know, probably had some harsh words for the usher who was totally confused, but I just, you know, I think I said something like, show me the text where it's written, where I have to sit upstairs. Um, but, you know, I sat upstairs with the rest of the service. I was so ma mad. I mean, I was just, I, I think I asked my mom, you know, um, did they deny you from reading from the Torah too when, when you were growing up? Um, and, and, you know, I remember like the moment where we're like throwing candy at my cousin. And I'm just so mad. I'm just like pelting those like <laughs> pieces of candy. Love about that story is that you're already <laughs> asking the usher about the text. You're like, let's talk about the Jewish text here. <laughs> I was so mad. I just, I felt like I wasn't even given a chance, you know? And I think, I think that moment, I think something broke in me in that moment where I was just like, I'm, I'm not, I don't even have access, you know, like, even if, even if I could, even if I wanted to. And I, um, and I think that's where I started having these sort of fantasies of studying Jewish texts <laughs> that I thought like, you know, if I just, if I just can, can figure them out, if I can figure them out and, and if I can be smarter than anyone else and can understand the languages that maybe I would find a way to figure out where I fit. You know, if I read the texts hard enough and I make sense of them enough, I'll figure out where I fit. And yeah. I think that that sort of morphed into, um, then it sort of became, well, I don't see myself in these texts. So I'm going to keep digging older and older and older until I get to what is the oldest text. Um, I, I mean, thankfully, I've moved away from that kind of thinking. Um, but I think that that is what sort of brought me to the biblical texts because um, I, I just, I it felt untouched in a way that um, even though it it's, it kind of struck me that like the Hebrew Bible, in a sense. Um, and more so the Ketuvim than any other of the texts are almost claimed by no one, you know? Um, they're, they're almost orphaned in a sense um, because they're not a central part um, of, um, you know, Jewish liturgy or practice. I mean, like, of course, yes, they show up in liturgy, but that's not my point, you know? It's not Jewish law, it's not Talmud, it's not, um, it's not the center of, of sort of how Jewish experience is sort of like centers around Jewish learning centers around. So um, I think that's where I sort of like lost myself in there. And I was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to be here. <laughs> Funny. I, yeah, I feel like I mentioned like coming to Talmud and studying Jewish law at a I feel like I committed myself for the last 10 years to really study Talmud and learn how to do it. Um, and I wonder if I'll ever be able to get away from this like inferiority complex of like, I'm not pronouncing the words the same way, the guys that grew up in yeshiva since forever, like the same way that they do it. And, and only very recently, um, and I'm so proud and excited about this, this experience, only recently has this like voice awakened in me where it's like, well, maybe this is a right way to do it also. And maybe there can be like, there's, it is now time for there to be women Talmud scholars who can learn this text and dig through it to find themselves um, and to make it their own. And I think it's a different kind of battle than the one, you know, you mentioned, um, but it does, it constantly feels like I'm navigating this internal voice of like, 
I'm not here. Why am I not here? And then being able to say like, no, I I'm here because I'm here and I can make myself be here and I belong. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the, I think the thing that, um, the thing that's so striking, I feel like when I, when I tell this story is that, um, you know, it's almost like I was escaping to biblical studies because I felt like I couldn't belong um, in, you know, in Jewish text study, um, and I couldn't belong religiously, um, and I couldn't belong in terms of practice and community. I just didn't find myself there. Um, and what is so almost ironic and hilarious about it is that I definitely don't belong in biblical studies. Um, it's like, what was I thinking, you know, um, that, that, you know, I was leaving sort of, you know, like I was, I was leaving, you know, you know, one sort of Yentl situation for another Yentl situation um, where, where I don't know the pathways, uh, the sort of the social la landscape even more, you know, um, just because biblical studies has been um, dominated for so long um, by Protestant, um, by Protestant theology. So it's also a foreign land to me. Um, and I might even say, even for, um, you know, I, I do sometimes find refuge um, in uh, the, you know, the various sort of um, philologically inclined Jewish scholars in the field, just because I, I often see, you know, eye to eye on certain approaches. Um, but e even there, I also feel like they all share this experience. These men share this experience of having gone to yeshiva together. And I don't have that. I didn't go to yeshiva. I, I didn't have that opportunity. And, and even if I went to like Beis Yaakov, it would have been different anyways. Um, yeah. So, so. Yeah, it's so funny. I feel similarly. I mean, obviously I'm not, you know, in officially in the field of Bible study, but even my experience taking academic Bible in my years here, um, at YDS, I, I, I like no Bible. I went to had like tw 13 years of actually 16. Cause I went to a Jewish college that required Bible study. Um, I have years of Bible study, except it's totally not the same thing. Like I can read the text in Hebrew and I know what all the commentaries and the medieval commentaries for years and years and years back say about things. And yet they're like conversations happening that I can't, quite understand and there is almost like a concern of like loss of ownership of a text that like I that is mine and I own but then it feels so foreign to me when it's articulated in this very like white male protestant um language and I'm like are we talking about the same book right now <laughs> it's like you're missing a midrash on, you know, like I used to this, it doesn't happen so often anymore, but, um, you know, early on, I think it was probably in my master's, um, when we would read a text, I would have a different memory of the text and, you know, we would be discussing a text, um, and I would, I, I would think, wait, I'm remembering this text differently. And then I'd realize that what I was remembering was some midrash that I had learned alongside the text. You're um, like, wait, that's not actually in the Bible? Like that's not in the text? Yeah, I've had the same experience. And then what's so- Moses didn't put the hot coals in his mouth? <laughs> exactly. For me, it was Abraham being thrown into the furnace. I was like, I'm, I'm sure I skipped this part. Like it goes straight from chapter 10 to chapter 11, but I'm pretty sure there's supposed to be a 10.5. Like- um, <laughs> 
And it's so funny because then I feel like I go through this experience of being like, oh, that's not in the text. That's not really true. That, and then like to have that be denied as like valid interpretation or study. And then to fight back and say like, no, why isn't like rabbinic interpretation, like early rabbinic interpretation and midrash, like why isn't that also a form of valid interpretation of reading and thinking about the nuance of the text? And it is mastery, the things, the, the textual details and themes that are talked about in the midrash are the same themes that we're picking up on now as if we just discovered them, but like, <laughs> you know, like, they got, they, they had it. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it does. It, I think that um, for me, one of the, one of the, the things that keeps me feeling like I'm in exile <laughs> perpetually is that um, I can't even sort of claim, um, you know, any sort of specific Jewish community is mine either. Um, and I think a little bit of that comes from um, my dad. Uh, and, you know, his, it's funny, because if you were to ask him, like, you could meet him now and, and hear his Russian accent, and folks will say, are you Russian? Um, and he'll say, no, I'm Jewish. Um, because, you know, uh, <laughs> they spend all of their lives in, you know, the Soviet Union, um, fending off accusations that they were Jews and not Russians, um, not Soviet citizens, you know, um, and then to come here and then people say, well, are you Russian? It's just like, wait, what? Um, and, and I think a little bit of that sort of like displacement, um, the way I dealt with, you know, not feeling totally comfortable, um, sort of uh, shedding, you know, my sort of my identity in, um, you know, giving up a little bit of, um, of who I am through sort of subordinating myself in a kind of patriarchal system. Um, you know, the way I dealt with it was I thought, you know what, I'm going to make Aliyah and I'm going to be Israeli now. Um, and, uh, and therefore I will claim a kind of Jewish nationalism, a secular Jewish nationalism, and I won't be bound to any sort of questions of, you know, should I practice or, or do I need to practice um, to continue to feel like I belong? Um, and even that didn't work um, just because I think that um, ethical questions about what it means um, for there to be a Jewish nationalism um, started to creep up on me. And, and I really, I just couldn't, I couldn't maintain that um, ethically. And so um, I, I just knew that it wasn't really the right place. I, I didn't fit there either. Um, and then I think the funniest part of all of this is that when I, <laughs> my husband says that when I finally got my first position at Brandeis, he said, here, now you can solve your Jewish identity problem. You can be a professor at Brandeis. He's a professor at Brandeis. <laughs> I was like, here, here, Jackie, you've solved your Jewish identity problem. And then, I mean, which betrays a complete lack of knowledge of the kind of, you know, conflicting sort of overlapping identities that are experienced by, by faculty at Brandeis. I mean, what does it mean to be a faculty member at Brandeis is like to really struggle with the question of Jewish identity in like the most acute way possible. So <laughs> I think it was a little naive <laughs> to say here, this is going to solve your problem. Um, 
If we and do think, know anything, it, there's never going to be someone thing no, to solve this no, problem. No, but, but it was, I did find it a little bit hilarious. Um, uh, to me, one of the most um, interesting experiences so far, I guess, as you know, living my life Jewishly has been to be this kind of like, you know, to take a kind of leadership role, like an intellectual leadership role in a Christian identified divinity school. Um, and and I've, I've worked really hard not to be like, you know, I'm not a token Jew. I'm just, I'm, I'm me, you know, this is, I am who I am, um, not, not to, not to quote the Bible here, but um, <laughs> I, I am me um, and um, I, I am Jewish, but it is, you know, being Jewish is not one thing um, and it, you know, it's a complex sort of set of overlapping identities. Um, but I also appreciate that it's an opportunity to be able to um, show people who might not understand, um, you know, what it means to um, interface the Bible not not as a Christian, um, and that's been an important experience for me. That's awesome. Um, should I go back to my? I'll, I'll rewind yeah, yeah. all bits and pieces already through yeah, yeah. our conversation. But um, so I mentioned my ancestors, my rabbinic line um, that I grew up. Uh, I was born into and was raised and I'm still a part of the um, of Orthodox, the Orthodox Jewish community. Um, I went to um, a Jewish day camp, a Jewish elementary school, middle school, all girls, high Jewish high school. Um, I took a gap year studying in seminary in Israel um, at an Orthodox all girls um, seminary. I went to Stern College, Yeshiva University, which is an all-girls Jewish um, college. And I was like, I mean, I still am, but like just such a goody two-shoes. Like I loved my community. I followed all the rules. It was knee socks, shirts to my elbows, skirts to my knees, collarbone covered. Like um, and I just loved my Judaism. I loved Jewish texts. I loved, um, I always loved studying Judaics. Um, and I loved Jewish practice. Like it was just such a big part of who I was. And I think the fact that I was in all girls spaces, um, basically my whole life until after college, um, it never, it just never, the gender thing, like it came up, but it just never really occurred to me because I wasn't around men very frequently. Um, and so I was just like doing my thing in my own happy little universe. Um, and I knew that I wanted to teach um, Bible and Jewish practice and Jewish philosophy. Um, I was like totally a teacher. And this is the way that women go, like when women have the qualities to become rabbis, they become high school teachers. That's like what we did. So I started training to, um, in college, I did my degree in Jewish education. And part of that, um, that program was field work and internship experience. And I was placed, my first field work placement was at the, um, the Abraham Joshua Heschel High School, um, which is a pluralistic Jewish day school on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And it was my first time ever meeting, spending serious time, I think like really ever meeting Jews, anyone who wasn't Orthodox. Like I had grown up so sheltered. Um, and it blew my mind. I remember after my first day of 
observation, I had seen like a Bible class and I walked to the subway crying my eyes out because I was so confused. Like I was taught, not that anyone necessarily explicitly said this, but I was kind of like led to believe that Orthodox Jews are doing this right. And people who are not Orthodox Jews are just either not trying hard enough and like don't care enough or are just like radically misinformed. And like that just <laughs> didn't jive with what I was seeing. And I, it blew my mind and I ended up falling in love with the school. I never left even after my fieldwork hours were done. <laughs> and they ended up hiring me and I taught there for seven years. And that was a really transformative experience. Um, before I started, I would, I would, I would not call myself a feminist. I was asked to facilitate a prayer group, like the women's prayer group. And I was like, okay, but like, I'm not a feminist. Like I don't, feminist is a feminist <laughs> word. And then after my first year of being in these women's spaces and like thinking about myself differently, I'm like, of course I'm a feminist. What's wrong with this? And like, it totally broke me out of, even though I stayed, I lived in the Orthodox community. I continue to affiliate Orthodox and my practice is an Orthodox practice. I, my, I just was like, there's something not right here. And um, I started teaching in congregational settings, um, just teaching adult education classes. And then I started, they invited me back and I would go for, you know, for the weekend for Shabbat and I would give a speech. And then I started going every weekend. And so then I was there and I was their community educator and I was going every weekend and I was giving a sermon and I was teaching a class and I was like leading a, like facilitating a prayer service. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I just gave the job description of a, of rabbi. a rabbi. Like, yeah. why am I not a rabbi? And the answer was, is because I didn't go to rabbinical school, but there was no rabbinical school for me to go to. And so I found myself in this like feminine space that is brand, brand new in my community that really has come about in the last few years. Are you years. talking about Maharat? Is this yeah. Maharat? Well, so in the last few years, like literally when I was in college, the first Maharat was ordained. A Maharat is from a school who, who, ordained women as orthodox communal leaders some of whom take the title rabbi and this created a huge split in in my community in the modern orthodox community of people who were accepting of this kind of title giving and people who weren't and i had grown up on the side of the tracks i guess you could say that was firmly opposed um <laughs> and yet because these women had taken this step more mainstream, more traditional Orthodox synagogues were like, okay, well, we could have women teach some kinds of classes. And that's where I am now. I'm in these positions been created out of a genuine recognized need in the Orthodox community for not, not just need for women leaders, but just a recognition of the capacity that like, there are brilliant, smart, passionate, capable women who have what to say and to teach. And um, we want to have them here. And um, so I'm like in this space that there isn't really prop like education for that for me within my community. Um, it's this liminal space. I'm not even always sure exactly what my job description is. And yet I'm committed to doing it because I know that you can't become the things that you can't see. And like I, when I was growing up, when I had my bat mitzvah, I could never have imagined a woman speaking from the pulpit and giving a sermon. Like it, it literally was just something I couldn't imagine. And now like the little kids who are growing up in this Orthodox congregation, like are gonna think it's totally normal. And like, it's slow change and it's 
painful for some people and I recognize that. And it's also sometimes painful for me. I wonder if I'm just kind of like supporting and enabling a system to exist that like is hurtful to a lot of women. Um, and yet I'm trying to like stay within and give back to the community that I love, that I grew up in, that I care so much about, genuinely love um, and help it be the best possible version of itself. And it's sometimes a messy process and sometimes leads me to like end up at a Christian divinity school. Um, <laughs> but it's been, it's been a real adventure. And when I think about like what role this me being here has in my journey and my, I guess, like faith experience, but also like a sense of responsibility to my community is I feel like I'm coming to get the wisdom that I can, where I can get it of like the um, pastoral training of preaching of um, like academic study and knowledge and bring that back to my community so that the girls who now grow up and the boys um, who now grow up and the everyone who now grow up as Orthodox Jews can see that um, things don't have to just look like one thing. That's the hope. We'll see. We'll see if that happens. It's it's interesting. Like I, I think, um, you know, um, many times when I've taught um, undergrads at various institutions, um, uh, you know, public universities, private universities, um, you know, intro to Hebrew Bible courses. Um, there's always a kind of, you know, uh, faith challenge moment um, where people have to reckon with um, a way of reading a text um, through a sort of historical critical lens um, that forces you to read it um, outside of a certain set of assumptions about that text. Um, and it can bring about real crises of faith. Um, and I wouldn't say that, you know, it brought me to a crisis. Again, it's, it's because what, what we might think, you know, how we might translate sort of like a, maybe a Christian notion of faith for us is history right? You're sort of like the history of the Jewish people is like part of how we might, you know, construe ourselves as a community today and in the past and all sort of linked together in a chain. Um, and so when you, um, when you start asking those kinds of questions about Sinai and you ask questions about, you know, the historicity of, of you know, the texts, um, it can bring you to a place um, that uh, leads you to think, you know, um, I can't keep practicing. And I think that one of the things that uh, um, I've always thought is um, how, you, how you practice as a Jew for me um, has very little to do with what I understand about the texts. Um, and uh, was it, I actually once played this, this video of um, uh, James Kugel um, for an intro course where, uh, what does he say? Um, uh, I don't believe in the Torah, I believe in God, um, which to me is still, that, that's, you know, I, I think that's a very helpful way of thinking about these things. But I think that, again, the reason I'm not practicing, um, you know, I, I'm, 
I'm not doing all these practices is um, I think because I don't feel like I belong in a community. I think that practice is actually very much tied to how you feel um, connected with others, um, at least Jewishly, um, because all of these things are done together. You cannot have Shabbat alone. You cannot have a Seder alone. You cannot um, have a minion alone. You know, you cannot do these things alone. Um, and, um, you know, I'm okay where I am right now. You know, I'm okay with it. Um, but I do know, and I've, I've, I've recognized since having a son, um, that um, I'm pressed more and more back into the community. So my sort of exile from the, from the Jewish community um, may be coming to an end um, because I because I feel an obligation to bring him back in, you know, to bring him into it. Um, you know, I, we had a bris, um, for me, it's really funny because my, my husband probably thinks that, um, I'm nuts about these things, but, um, when it comes to, uh, major life cycle moments or major moments that I sort of, um, situate as very sort of central to my identity as a Jew, I always lean towards more orthodox practices, uh, even though I was like, I'm not, I'm not keeping kosher. I'm not keeping Shabbat because those things I think are not part of the practices I've outlined for myself. So I'm definitely one of those like buffet style <laughs> Jews. So I'm so intrigued by this framing. And I think it's, it's so helpful of thinking about the role of community um, in keeping Jewish practice. And I think this is something that like the rabbis totally understood. And when they crafted rabbinic Judaism, I think they emphasized, they made laws and regulated things in such a way that, yeah, Judaism has to take place within a community. And then to hear you also mention family. And I think that's a very lived experience yeah. of people um, that when they have children, that brings them kind of like more, makes them more traditional or do more kinds of practices. And it's just so interesting because I feel like I've been on both sides of that coin of like recognizing that in kind of like an observant Jewish setting, the emphasis is on community and on family. It idealizes a certain kind of um, family, which is like being married and having kids. And then for me, the experience of feeling so connected to the Orthodox community in my case, but then having a family life that doesn't fit in kind of like this picture of what it means to be Jewish, right? Like divorce is not something, I mean, not it's not really like chill anywhere, um, but it's definitely not, you know, super chill in the community that I came from. And then having that experience of loneliness and people who aren't in families feel very disconnected often from their Judaism and like Jewish experience and Jewish practice. And I just, I just find that like a very, Maybe, I don't know, I can't speak to like other religions so well, but like a very uniquely Jewish thing because it really pulls to kind of not, it's, it's, it's not about my personal faith experience. That's not the way most Jews I know talk about their Jewishness. It is about this history, family, community um, element. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, it's interesting that you've also had a, an Orthodox divorce. Um, so um, that uh, 
um, one of the things that um, will always stick with me, um, well, I also found sort of, I, I remember it was, it was not a pleasant experience um, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's almost like, it's almost like a wedding in reverse, right? Where it's like, you know, you're like, you're like, <laughs> you are times that you are a divorced woman. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like, um, uh, you know, like you are banished, you are banished, you are banished. Um, and, um, you know, um, after the whole thing was over, um, when, you know, the rabbi was saying goodbye to me, um, he said, um, I hope you find your people. And, I, I, I think I could have taken that like in a bad way, but I think he meant it genuinely as in, um, I, I hope you, I hope you find a family. Um, I hope, I hope you find a family for yourself and I can, you know, I can take that not charitably and think, you know, you know, as a woman, I can exist without a husband. Like, I'll just put that out there. I don't need this. Um, but, um, but again, it's just sort of so sort of hardwired that um, what it means to exist Jewishly is to exist within a family. Um, and I hope you find your people. <laughs> well, I did find my people, so <laughs> happy now. For all of y'all who are listening and are like worried about me, I'm good. I'm getting married in May. Like, <laughs> I'd be good. Okay. And I'd be okay anyway, right? It's so interesting, right? Like you said, yeah. like, why yeah. is it that I need to be married to be okay and coming to like terms yeah. of the fact that like as a single woman like there is a wholeness there that I can come to and find and at the same time being a wife and then hopefully future a mother and being part of a family has religious resonance um in in a really it's it's like interesting because I reject there's so many times in which I reject you know the the ways in which those roles are construed and I um you know uh I think a family is what you make you know you make your own family um and however you make that um I think it's wonderful and um you know everyone should do what is most meaningful for them um, and gives them the most, you know, joy and, um, you know, sense of um, wholeness. Um, so I have no sort of, you know, uh, I have no sort of ideas of like, what is the correct way to have a family? Like, absolutely not. Um, uh, and I, and in fact, I think, I think that you can read the texts and see that too, um, that you can read the biblical texts. I, I love these sort of counter, this is another reason why I love doing this because there are so many counter readings that you can do because you know, the ancient world was just as, you know, ancient world was just as complex as our world was, it, it, perhaps in different ways, but the variety of human experiences there too. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's just not, yeah, in any case, <laughs> Amen. yeah um it's funny because uh, we did not speak about faith at all really but i think well, that we, we um, only to counter what our experiences were to like say but yeah or it's like i think that one of the things that i had put a sort of bookmark to to make sure that i say is that you know every single moment in the life cycle um within the jewish community for me right my bat mitzvah my first wedding my divorce my next wedding my son's bris um you know uh, 
I never had occasion um, to profess or examine my faith, right? I always felt like faith was really treated as ancillary to specific practices and to performances of community inclusion, right? Um, that uh, I don't know if this is the case for you. Just like it would be interesting for me to hear if you know within you know um, you know more observant. Um, world if faith is treated as central, but my, my sense is no. no. Um, it's not, it's fascinating. I think it was like, it was often used as like a throwaway example, like that you should have emuna, right? Faith, that's like the Hebrew word for faith, like you should have faith. But like, I didn't, I guess I didn't quite understand really what that meant. And I, it just struck me once I started teaching at a pluralistic school that was named after one of the greatest Jewish theologians of the last kind of like century um that like I never talked about God like ever like nobody in my community really like talked about God and like what is God and what does it mean to have a relationship with God and what is like Never. People talked all the time. You would say like, oh, how are you? You'd say like, oh, Baruch Hashem, right? Like, praise God. Like, I'm good. Like, it was, it was a throwaway and it was assumed. It was never talked about. And um, for me, it was, I mean, I think some people just have the God gene and some people just don't. Like, they, like I just like, I've always had, it's not even something I consciously engage with regularly because it's not really actively a part of the way most Orthodox Jews live their life. But like, I believe in God and I know that God, I feel and know that God has been with me and have as of late started thinking about like theology and Jewish theology and what are those implications? Um, but lots of people don't, they really It's don't. also, it's just, I feel like it's not socialized. It's just not part of, and, and I think one of the points that I would like to make is that, you know, as a scholar, right, of, of the Hebrew Bible and of, you know, biblical literature, um, the fact that it's not been central and it's not something that I think about, it also is, you know, differently structuring the kinds of questions I ask. Because I'm not going to ask those kinds of questions because I, I'm, I'm less hung up or I'm less interested or, you know, it, I'm always interested in people. How are people living their life? And um, it's so fascinating to hear you say that. Cause I guess, I mean, we did talk about, I mean, how, how did we not talk about God? We learned the Bible, God's in the Bible everywhere. But it, I think it was a pretty unidimensional, very Maimonidean um, picture of God. So like very transcendent, very non-physical and it was very vague. And then like, I remember when that changed for me because I was on some panel at some point after I had already started teaching at Heschel and my thought about these things got a little bit more nuanced. Um, I was at a, a panel and somebody asked like, if you could speak to any character from the Torah, like who would you wanna talk to? And all the people on the panel before me said, you know, like Moses or like, oh, I wanna talk to like, you know, Rebecca. And I'm like, I wanna talk to God. And I literally asked. <laughs> Because the question is, who in the Bible would you want to talk to? And God's not a character in the Bible. Like, that's like that, I would have never thought think, like to say that. And yet, when I relook at the Bible from like a different, maybe more theologically minded, like more God aware perspective, like God is absolutely an active 
actor, like character participant in the stories and doesn't always act the same and doesn't always act at all. And there's so much richness there that's been uncovered for me by actually thinking about God in a serious way um, that just was not present in my education or upbringing. Um, and I understand why, I totally understand why, right? Like you mentioned how like the experience of students learning Bible from these other kinds of perspectives, particularly source critical has been, has led to real crises of faith. Like when you're raised to believe in a very particular thing and your whole religious experience and practice is founded on assumptions like God and, you know, authorship of the Torah and authority of text. Like, and once you start questioning that, like things can really, really risk falling apart. Um, and yeah, you have a real Spinoza moment, you know? <laughs> Spinoza was, oh my God, I remember the first time I learned about who Spinoza was, I remember exactly where I was. And I was like, what is this? Um, <laughs> and it's been, it's been really interesting to go on these intellectual journeys um, and always want to come home, right? Like I always want to come home to my Orthodox community and family and feel part of it. And I do, I really, really do. And also once you learn these things, I mean, that's literally the definition of woke, right? You've woken up, you can't like close your eyes to me. <laughs> and it applies to like so many areas. It applies to the way that I experience my Jewish identity. You mentioned like the very, very beginning like identity and like, race and what it means to be American. Like these things have, and God and theology, like these things have become so much more nuanced for me. And it does sometimes feel like I'm not an exile, but my body's in the right place and my heart's in the right place. But sometimes my mind is thinking <laughs> that don't really fit whatever else is happening around me, um, which is I have to, things interesting. <laughs> I'm just so curious. What is the response of your community to the fact that you are um, studying at a Christian divinity school? Um, so it's been overwhelmingly positive, mostly because I, I don't know, I don't think, I didn't know what a divinity school was until I applied to come to one. I don't think most people in my community um, necessarily know exactly what, like what it really means to be, what I, in divinity school, what the way I explain it is like, it's, it's smicha for Christians, right? It's like rabbinic order. <laughs> And they're like, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm like, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's not, you know, but okay. <laughs> positive. Um, and then the people who, it's interesting because I've actually found like the people who understand what it means and who know that it means I'm like studying Bible outside of like a traditional context or who know that I'm studying Christian theology. Um, the people who know what that means, who are attuned and who are looking for someone to talk to, whose mind is in the same place mine is, even though their body and their heart is in the same place mine is. Um, it's almost like a code word. Like people come out of the woodwork and they're like, can we talk? And I'm like, I know what you want to talk about. <laughs> it's really interesting to like find people in my community who want to be Orthodox and are and are there and are fully part of it and also are troubled and question the same things that I am questioning and thinking about. And it's actually been so validating for me and I think also for them, like as a religious leader, if I'm here and I'm studying these things, like it can be done. Um, and I just, I, I hope that that's like 
hopeful for people. But um, I also think the fact that it's Yale like makes everybody not care about whatever school comes out. <laughs> you're at Yale, like oh, that's fine, great. <laughs> you're you're at Yale Rabbinical School. <laughs> We've just renamed YDS. I don't know how comfortable everyone would be with that. This has been a Fireside Chat featuring Professor Jackie Vaintrub and student Ora Weinbach, sponsored by the Spiritual Formation and Practice of Faith Committee. Thank you for listening. <laughs>